Hello and welcome to Braveheart Conversations, where we learn the art of love through brave and compassionate conversations. I'm Jillian Aurora. And I'm Marie Wallace. And we are your hosts today. Woo, we're excited to be here this morning. Um, we have a sensitive topic today. Um, we'll go ahead and introduce ourselves first. This is Braveheart Conversations, episode 38. I am Jillian Aurora, and I'm here with my co-host, Marie Wallace. Hello. And uh, we are happy that you are joining us from whatever platform you are joining us on today. We go live every Thursday morning, and very grateful for the people that hop on and have this conversation with us live. We are also on um, Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes, so we have lots of ways to find us. And um, you can find us on our Facebook group where you can join discussions and see all of these lovely live videos. Um, you can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash Braveheart Conversations. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into our topic. Um, first of all, I just want to say that uh, this is called Braveheart Conversations. We, uh, we are committed to showing up brave. And there are some times that conversations come up when I don't feel ready for them. Mm. But because uh, events are happening around us all the time, I don't get to choose that timing. And sometimes the conversations that need to be had uh, aren't on my timing. And so today we're going to be talking about something that's, that's hard. It's mm. not something that's comfortable to talk about. And um, it's something that's very necessary to talk about. And um, so we had some events, some really horrific, um, brutal events that happened um, because of racism and, and police brutality. I'm sure nobody is unaware of what has happened. And there's a lot of division around it. And it's easy for us to just be quiet. Um, it's easy for me to justify because I can say, well, that doesn't have anything to do with my business, right? And, the, right. you know, my niche, my the thing that I like to talk about is women's rights. And so I don't have to touch this. Mm -hmm. But here's what convicted me is um, I happen to think very, very highly of men who stand for women's rights, even though they could say, not my issue, not my mm -hmm. topic. Um, I don't rape women, I don't abuse women, so I don't need to talk about it. But do you know how much I appreciate men who do show up and have the difficult conversations and say, I'm a feminist, or I stand for equal women's rights? Um, that means the world to me. So in that same breath, we're going to have this conversation messy and I'm going to say some things I'm sure that people will say your privi privilege is showing and it will um, because generationally that's where I've come from. I'm white. I do show up with privilege. There are things I don't have to worry about. I live in Boise, Idaho, which is like all white. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I've seen some racism. Uh, I didn't ever have to experience that personally. But I've worked with a lot of refugees and I've had my own experiences with seeing the harm and hurt that um, that people can just really flippantly um, 
they can hurt other people so easily and um, and come with such judgment and assumption. So I'm going to practice what I preach today and say, you know, I'm going to open up a conversation because the conversation gets to be had even if it's hard and even if some people may not agree and even if um, people may not like me from either side of the aisle. So, um, Marie, I know you've had some experience in speaking about this as well. This is a topic that we've both, we've both seen yeah. and experienced from our own perspectives. And um, I feel like I'm doing a lot of talking right no, now. No, you're doing, you're doing a good job. I think uh, what I wanna add to that is that opening the conversation allows us to bring awareness to something, just like having men who stand up for women and they go to different activities that help bring about not only awareness, but awareness to the issues, but awareness as to how we can start solving this um, epi I don't know what I, know what I want to call it. We can just stop some of what's going on at, from happening by opening up at this conversation. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just real important to keep having those. I have been on panels where we talked about gender equality and um, there's a lot of misperceptions out there even even when we do come from a place of I, I was on a panel in India and they thought that here in the United States that women were equal because we are we live in a state of privilege and so I just know that there's a lot of conversations to have around there and the more that we can open that up we can build the awareness and we can um, do we have a lot more advantages here in the US yes we do um, than in other countries however it was just so important to have that conversation because then it helps everyone on, on all sides know how to enter the conversation mm -hmm. how to be more aware what to read what how to yeah yeah how to perceive things yeah we cannot heal without having the conversations we cannot heal while we still maintain secrets mm -hmm. we cannot heal while we still maintain um, presence in the shadows instead of being transparent um, you know in the whole gender conversation part of the conversation is if there's only awareness in the oppressed gender women or whatever minority genders um, if there's only conversation in the oppressed perspective you can only heal so much the oppressors are the ones doing the violence, mm -hmm. right? So it is not just a women's issue, just like this is not just a minority issue. Mm -hmm. This is a collective issue. We all get the opportunity to heal and grow. So um, as we talk about power and oppression, I think that there's some really important elements. Uh, one of them is just the long-term effects that we've had. Um, you know generations so many generations where like this isn't a this isn't a new problem this is a really old problem uh, there's a lot of dismissiveness that comes up when people say well they're not slaves today <laughs> well when things show up like this we get to see right in front of our face um, that there's still some problems 
when when someone gets murdered in front of a whole group of people coldly cruelly um, not heeding any of the pleas for help from the person or people around them like we have a problem that's that's a big problem and so I hope that this brings some awareness that there is still a problem it's not about you know well slavery happened a long time ago it's just a different form of slavery mm-hmm yeah and um, so we get to acknowledge that there's still a problem today that that doesn't get to be dismissed I also think we get to acknowledge that just because something happened in a, a family member or past generation, it's still present in us today. There's a lot more information out there about um, DNA. Like mm -hmm. our trauma is actually embedded in our DNA. I heard something, I think it was yesterday, I was reading a book that um, a woman who has severe trauma, her child her is eight times more likely to get a terminal illness. Eight times more likely. The child is without even experiencing any trauma. That's incredible to me. So we do get to acknowledge that there is an element that um, we are like, like they were slaves really not that long ago. Their whole race in the USA like was incredibly abused and oppressed. And I feel the same way in like I can relate in my gender because you know we've talked about this before as women like even when you were a young adult you know mm -hmm. being able to get a bank account mm -hmm. um was wasn't easy. yeah i couldn't get a bank account without my husband <laughs> yeah. yeah so i mean we also feel this very often um women who are breaking out of oppressive patterns will say, why is this so hard? Like I get it here, but it's so hard here. It's so hard for me to actually practice what I know. Um, and, and I believe it's because we do have trauma embedded in our DNA. And, and it's systematic too. It's been handed down for generations, certain systems for holding and oppressing people in general. Mm -hmm. So it's a systemic problem. Yeah, it's systemic, it's, it is, in ancestral DNA, um, and this is the icky part that I don't want to look at, is that I think our privilege is also embedded in our DNA. Yes. So just like they have trauma, like we have just assumptions in the way that we go about our everyday lives, we don't have to assume danger, right. at least in that way. As a woman, there's certain things mm -hmm. that I'm careful of that a man doesn't need to be careful of, right? But um, as a white person, there are things I don't have to be careful about and may not even be aware about nope I just make those assumptions so well like you said earlier we can sit back in the shadows and pretend mm -hmm. that it's not happening and that we don't have a part in it but it will affect our generations as well from future generations so it talking about it now could start healing things now and yeah mm-hmm yeah, um, I find that the things that I don't want to look at, you know, watching that video was it hard. Was tough. It was hard to look at. It really makes my soul grieve. Um, and some of us have the privilege to not look at it. And it's not going to impact me 
personally, right? That's not something I have to deal with in my life today. Um, but some people, like that's that's a very real, very real reality they live with every day. Every day. So I'm a human being. I'm part of the collective. So if my brother or sister is hurting, I'm hurting. So um, I think that we get to tap into our empathy. For me, I can feel a connection in this particular um, topic with these particular with this particular minority. Even though I'm not a minority, and I will never understand what racism feels like. I will never understand that. However, I do understand what it's like to be oppressed as a woman. And so I can, I can find that empathy by finding those connections. You know, I understand what it's like to feel um, minimized, or I understand what it, what it's like to, um, to feel someone else's assumptions of me based on my gender. Um, so I believe that empathy is a great asset for us. If we can find those it's a connections. Starting place. Yeah. Um, if we can we can find within us where we have felt that same pain. And even though it may be different, it shows up different. Um, and I feel for like people who deal with multiple um, minorities. So they might be a minority race and they might be a gender that's oppressed or you know they might have a disability a there might be yeah. so many different things that people identify with but if I can bridge the gap by having empathy for any of those groups of people um, then we all heal more um, and I think I, I can identify what I long for in uh, people who aren't a part of my oppressive issue or status, right? Mm -hmm. So as a woman, I long for empathy and recognition and acknowledgement. And that helps me heal and I see healing in them. So that's what I get to offer because I recognize that's what I long for. So that's also what I get to be. Well said. Yeah, so... Um, we each have our own, I guess, stories. For me, I grew up in Idaho, and so it was an interesting um, experience. Maybe we can both kind of share a little bit of our own background. Um, I grew up reading about racism in history books, right? And I thought it wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can remember, you know, I had very few, um, well, I had very few friends in general I was homeschooled so I didn't get a lot of socialization in general but I didn't have uh, a wide variety of friends that were different ethnicities I had friends that were just like me white and Christian and conservative they were all kind of cut out of the same cloth and um, I didn't really experience racism because there wasn't anything uh, confronting to my identity. Mm -hmm. Then I went to college in Florida and there was a wide variety of ethnicities and races and languages and it was very confronting because um, I really came to the table with this assumption that there's no more racism. That was way in the past. Slavery was abolished 
And it was only within like the the previous five years to me attending that school that interracial dating had been allowed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it had been banned. And I was like scratching my head thinking like, what world am I living in? Like people were still making comments about interracial couples and it was very bizarre to me. I remember just feeling like, what, this is real? This is still happening? And, um, and then uh, as I grew and, uh, and started my career in the field of social work, I worked with more and more refugees in the Boise area and I did see how that confronted a lot of people. I did see how um, people told them to go home. Uh, women who wore a hijab uh, especially were targeted. And that broke my heart because these women were often, um, they were already being oppressed. Yeah, they came here to have a different life. <laughs> yeah, and their culture is already oppressive to women. And so then they just got another added element here um, in the U.S. because the U.S. wanted them to be a certain way. And uh, it just, it was, it was really heartbreaking to me. And um, it gave me a totally different level of, of awareness. So um, I want to hear about some of your background and your experience. Um, I grew up in the um, late 60s, early 70s, where civil rights was going on in Texas. Um, I was poor and I went to school. There were all different um, races there. And so um, I'm in the thick of things and I don't understand because I'm a young, young girl and I don't understand really the gravity of all that's happening. But I do know that it was heartbreaking to see um, how people were treated differently. And um, yeah, there's some of it that I can't talk about today because it's a really a tough situation for me. But you could just see that a lot of times people were not treated fairly or equally in, in, in all of the situations. And, and so I saw a quite a bit of uh, oppression coming, you know, growing up. And um, I was fortunate enough to break out of that and I moved to Idaho because um, my husband had gotten a job here and that opened up my eyes to a whole different world. Um, I actually did grow up um, also being oppressed as a, a female um, because in my family, which is interesting because my dad had three girls and then he had three boys and so he got to see what it was like because he really wasn't ready for girls and then of course his first three daughters are and we got treated way differently there were definitely girls chores which were about this high and and guys chores and and theirs were not very big and we were always expected to do certain things and because my dad had been married quite a few times, it fell on me to be the mom and the caretaker and all these roles that I wasn't quite ready for. Um, moving to Idaho, some of my experiences were um, I didn't see what I saw when I was growing up, all the racial um, oppression and all the ways that people fought and had those things. And, and so I was blind. My privilege did 
um, make me blind in those situations. I was well aware of the oppression happening to women because I was directly involved in many relationships where um, I didn't feel I could speak up, but that's trauma that I had to learn and grow up and deal with because that was my generational pattern. No woman in my family ever really got to speak up or be heard. Um, as a matter of fact, we were often told to be seen and not heard, and most of the time not even seen. And so, um, and then I went to school and I studied multicultural because I, I was really curious about people. I really loved people. I used to follow Charles Kuralt, who would go around America getting people's stories, and that was the curious part. And then I started working in um, schools that were underprivileged. And that's where you, as a teacher, I got to see some things that were really heartbreaking, seeing that there were kids that didn't, didn't have enough food and kids that didn't have parents that were able to take, take care of them because they were working. And um, so you see the oppression of the poor. And then I'm, I'm reading a book one day in one of the schools and a kid had, um, a kid goes, well, it was a, a story about um, a little boy and he goes, well, why is that little boy brown? Because he had never seen a brown person. And I was shocked because I go, that's how oblivious they were. So they weren't even being exposed to other religions. So that's my background. And we, I have, I have worked with refugees. I have worked in some of the lower income schools and seeing some of the things going on and, and doing my best to open conversations and make a difference with what I'm able to um, using my privilege. But I know I am nowhere near where I need to be to be of service in this conversation. So but you are just by being in this conversation. By being in this conversation. It's rough, you guys. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's hard, especially as, um, you know, sometimes you feel like the stakes are high. Um, it's, it's hard to have these conversations very confronting because the stakes are high. Who am I going to lose? Who's going to disagree with me? Who am I going to mm -hmm. offend? And uh, that's what keeps us quiet. And if I know and one shadows, thing, yeah. <laughs> if I know one thing, is that all of those pressures to say stay silent, they are liars. They're liars. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, there may be there may be some pushback, but not nearly the the consequences that there would be. Well, nothing's for being gonna silent. change. Nothing will change if we sit back in silence, because like you said, the oppressed will stay oppressed because they're having the conversations mm -hmm. among themselves and no one else is being entered in there mm -hmm. on their behalf. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's the same kind of conversation I have regularly with women who have been abused or gotten out of toxic relationships is they often will will give me every excuse why they want to be quiet and just move on and not make waves and it's over with and the thing is if people don't ever talk about the abuse that they had, the abuse is able to continue. You know, um, there are many, many people who have not been called on the carpet for the abuse that they have created over and over and over in so many different victims. And 
So we get to stop being silent. And in this particular situation, I'm not a victim. I'm not. In fact, uh, you know, people could say I'm on the other side of the street because I'm white and I'm privileged. And so this is how I break that barrier is my priv privilege allows me to be silent. And by choice, I will not be silent. Um, well, imagine if the Me Too movement hadn't happened. Mm -hmm. That one woman who was brave enough to bring it up, those abusers that have since been jailed would still be abusing. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, so I think, like, just like I want um, a man who, let's say, a man makes a locker room comment, right? No big deal, just being a guy. And another guy says hey, you know, man, that's not really cool. I, I want to, like, tear up for that, that man. Like, I, I feel so, um, they're an ally. And um, I love that. Not that that makes them one of us. Not that they've been or victimized. Or that he'll ever understand. But, I mean, that's so meaningful to me. So I know that because that's meaningful to me, um, I, I want to be that for somebody else. And I understand that doesn't take away the pain. I understand, like, that's not me, like, being able to save and rescue them. I don't need to save and rescue. They're doing their own work um, to advocate for their own rights. And I simply play a supportive role. Um, I can't be a savior for them. I, I'm fully aware of that. All I can do is voice my support of them. I guess all I want to say in wrapping up is just some solutions. Um, what, what role, if we've missed any, what have we missed in how we can play a role moving forward in the solution? Right now our country is really in pain. Um, we're seeing we're seeing a lot of anger and riots that are all justified. Yes. Um, we are not yet seeing justice um, for the innocent man that was murdered brutally. Um, so senseless. It was really senseless. So I guess I'm I'm left feeling pretty helpless. Helpless is a good word because. Um, it feels like it's not enough to just have a conversation. <laughs> but I'm at a loss And maybe to know. some of you out there do have an idea of, you know, how we can open it up or um, have the conversation at a deeper level. Um, mm -hmm. But we're opening that up too because we're always, we, we're, we're, ready and willing to have a conversation if that comes up and as tough as it may be we know that um, you may have some awareness that we don't have and something that needs to be put out there that we that we don't know or understand mm -hmm. or may have neglected because like you know you jill started the convert jillian started the conversation about we're going to be clumsy because we do have white privilege and we don't really uh understand all that's on the table we get that and understand that but we're willing and i think that's part of the conversation too is you know we're willing and open to 
to see what that could look like and what we can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we'd love to hear any, any of your suggestions or solutions and really just asking that question, like, how can we serve? How can we serve? How can we be a part of the solution? Um, I mean, without all the feminist in the 60s and 70s, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now, because we, right? So, mm -hmm. someone and, somewhere stepped up, and that's... Yeah, I think that there's a lot of fear right now, as, as a white woman, <laughs> there's a lot of fear, because I've seen people step out as anti-racist and be annihilated online, and so, you know, I'm there's both sides here where I'm like, uh, I want to speak because that is what is my integrity. That's, that's where I feel I, I need to not be operating in my, my privilege by being silent. There's also that human side of me that's fearful of like, I'm really screwed if I do or screwed if I don't, right? Um, so I understand the, the murky waters <laughs> that we're, we're trying to uh, clumsily navigate. Um, so it's not worth it to be silent. And it's also like, you know, this, this part of me is like, please be kind, like, please be gentle because we're opening this conversation in a way that we don't really even know, uh, how to serve you best. So anyway, those are our ramblings for today. Thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you for being a part of this vulnerable conversation because I know I'm not the only one uncomfortable. There's a lot of us out there who don't know what part to play in this. Um, so, you know, give us, give us some love if you're feeling that way too. Uh, give us some suggestions, give us some feedback. And, you know, as always, we, we love to hear from you in whatever capacity. So if you feel challenged by this or you feel like this inspires some other question, we really want to hear it. That's good. Yeah. Um, so if you do want to send us a question or a comment, you can reach me at defytheaverage at gmail.com or you can reach Marie. Marie at mariesgold.com. And of course you can follow us on our Facebook page where you can answer or you can ask questions there or join in the discussion. And that is facebook.com slash groups slash Braveheart Conversations. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up and we will see you all next week. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.